special Golden State podcast from the Hoover Institution, looking at the most important public policy issues facing the state of California. I'm your host, Troy Sinek, and I am joined today by a trio of research fellows at the Hoover Institution, Carson Bruno, Tammy Frisbee, and Bill Whalen. Welcome to you all. Good to be with Thank you. Thank you. All right, guys. So uh, top line sort of readout of this new Golden State poll results from Hoover and YouGov. Of course, we don't have a Senate race in California this year, but we do have a governor's race. Jerry Brown, incumbent Democrat, seeking his second consecutive term, his fourth term overall, and uh, his Republican challenger, Neil Kashkari. So, Bill, let me start with you. First off, if I'm looking at these new Golden State poll results and I'm Jerry Brown, what's my takeaway? Uh, takeaway would be pretty much what you expected. We show the poll, uh, the race at 48 to 31. Uh, we don't push on our polls. So that's why the number might be a little low, but 17 points uh, seems to be keeping in the margin of what uh, other surveys show in California, and that's pretty much the way I think this governor wants it. Um, I've been following governor's races in California for 20 years now, and uh, I cannot remember a race like this where you had uh, an incumbent governor who spent not a dime on his own campaign in terms of of saying what he had done as governor or what he planned to do in the next four years to the extent that Brown is campaigning on televisions for a pair of ballot propositions, which we'll get to in a minute. Uh, conversely, Neil Kashkari has barely two nickels to rub together coming down the home stretch. He has not been able to mount any kind of media campaign, and that's why you found him stuck down in the low 30s in our poll. It's the, it's the equivalent of a tree falls in the forest and nobody's around does it make a sound. So I would say Brown would look at this poll and say this is pretty much the way he designed it. If you're Kashkari, or for that matter, any Republican in California, um, anything heartening that you can take away from from these poll responses? It seems like a pretty negative atmosphere for Republicans overall. Well, I think you have to understand the nature of the California Republican Party in 2014 and that success is not defined at the very top of the ticket and it may not be defined uh, on the statewide races. There are a couple of Republicans who have a shot at winning, but they're slim shots. Uh, success is defined much further down the ticket. It's in congressional races and state legislative races. And this is the one area in which the governor's strategy may backfire. Uh, by running a campaign whose media is focused solely on uh, water bond and uh, a rainy day fund, those are inherently boring ideas to most voters, especially progressives who turn out in larger numbers in pre presidential years than midterm elections. He will succeed probably in deflating the Democratic turnout further down the ticket, and the Democrats might actually lose two or three races on the legislative side. They might ordinarily win, and they might lose two or three congressional races as well because of this suppressed turnout. So, Tammy, talk to me for a moment before we get into some of the policy issues about how the poll is actually conducted. Uh, who are we talking to? How are we talking to them? And, and what outcome does that – what effect, rather, does that have on the kind of results that you're seeing? Sure. Hoover partners with the established survey research firm YouGov, and one of our Hoover senior fellows, Doug Rivers, is the chief innovation officer at YouGov, and he um, handles the the back-end – survey design, methodology, their statistical methods that they're bringing to bear to be state-of-the-art at YouGov. So we then are able to build on that by partnering with YouGov to administer the, the Hoover survey out in the field. And YouGov is an internet-based survey, which means that they pull people on the internet, but they don't just put questions out there and let anyone who happens to stumble upon them on the internet or on certain websites answer those questions. They have a very carefully cultivated panel of respondents, and then they take those respondents, they offer them 
various surveys. And then they take an additional step of actually matching those respondents to what's called a sampling frame. That is, we know information about the American public and about the California public. And then we're able to make sure that the respondents that we're actually counting in our sample, the respondents that we're looking at in this survey data, look like Californians. So for this particular survey, we wanted to have a thousand representative Californians. We also actually wanted to have an oversample of millennials. That means we wanted to ask more millennials, more 18 to 34 year olds, our questions than we'd get in a regular representative sample of a thousand Californians. And that enables us to have more precision in our estimates about how those 18 to 34 year olds feel about California politics and about the economy. And of course, because those uh, younger Californians look different, primarily on the demographic characteristic of race, than older Californians, we're able to, to see some of those important changes that are probably coming down the pike. So the, those are the, the broad contours of what we do with the California poll in partnership with YouGov. Carson, how about that question that Tammy mentioned a moment ago, how Californians feel about the economy? You would think perhaps if you looked at the results of a poll like this one that showed an incumbent governor in a pretty easy position looking at reelection, that that would maybe be reflective of a state where everybody felt pretty happy with the status quo. Is that what the poll results show here? Actually, quite, it's quite the opposite. And uh, it's, it's particularly interesting considering the fact that we've been hearing the story of a California comeback for – what has now been most of Jerry Brown's uh, third term since 2010. You know, coming out of this recession, uh, you know, he's been touting the, the fact that you know the state has recovered all the jobs it lost during the recession. Our unemployment rate is down from a you know a, a high of 12.4 percent. Uh, but when you look at what Californians are actually saying and feeling, you see quite the opposite. They don't, really don't feel like this comeback is actually affecting their family finances and their job prospects. And uh, we've been testing these three questions across all four of our quarterly surveys dating back to the first survey in September 2013. And what we see is there's been absolutely really no change um, amongst Californians' views on their economic confidence, whether it's their family, family finances or whether it's their, their job prospects. And uh, it's remained quite static across the year. And this is in stark contrast to what Jerry Brown has been campaigning on uh, and saying, and uh, of course, then you know how well Jerry Brown is doing in his reelection bid. And do we have a sense? This is a question for any of you. Do we have a sense of which issues from this poll are the ones that Californians themselves place the highest priority on? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, uh, go ahead, Bill, if you want to. Uh, I would say economy trumps, and uh, Carson raises a very good point. You know, President Obama has been going around the country and trying to uh, buck up Democrats uh, by making the case: Are you better off than you were six years ago? And the message has fallen flat. And there's a lot of speculation as to why exactly. And the focus seems to be on the fact that most people don't feel an economic recovery in terms of wages. And so when you look at our survey and you see that people don't see their personal finances being better than they were six months ago, and they don't believe that they're going to be better off six months from now, I think that ties into the president's problem nationally. So California, not exactly the uh, political outlier that we might think it is. No, and I'll just add on to that. Uh, you know, we asked what the Californians think the priority should be for the governor of California uh, in this upcoming year in 2015. Uh, 43% said that uh, strengthening the state's economy should be the top priority for the governor. 
And what you see is, you know, you do see, you know, more people saying that they are worse off than better off uh, in their family finances than a year ago. 51% say that they don't think that will change. Uh, Their family finances situation won't change in the next six months. And then when you look at uh, job prospects, you know, it's upwards of um, about 49% of Californians, employed Californians, don't think that they would be able to find a equally paying job in six months if they were to leave their current job. Uh, so it's it's a very problematic situation that the next governor, predictably Jerry Brown, will have to um, deal with when he when he uh, in the next year or so. And when, when you dig down, uh, go ahead, Tim. Sorry, uh, when you dig down into that data a little bit, one thing that struck me is that while on so many political questions these days, you see this partisan political divide and. Even on economic questions, you have what's being termed the partisan political economy, where if a Democrat is in charge, then Democratic voters think that things are more okay or even quite good, and Republicans are critical and, and vice versa. In our data about the top priority for the governor of California in 2015, we actually don't have that sort of partisan political economy. Democrats and Republicans within the margin of error were equally likely to put strengthening the state's economy as their top priority. We have Democrats at 39%, Republicans at 44%, Independents, by the way, we're at 52%, so higher there. But that really struck me, that Democrats are not rushing to the defense of Governor Brown about his uh, his overseeing of the state's economy. But, you know, that's in part because Jerry Brown's sitting on a $23 million war chest to the extent that he's spending any of that money. It's on Propositions 1 and 2, and he hasn't gone around and spent 5 or $10 million on asking the question, are you better off than you were four years ago? And, you know, running all sorts of clever ads, showing jobs being created and that forth. So I think our poll reflects that when you run this low frills campaign, which is not trying to push your base at all to, to rally behind you, this is the kind of stuff you get. Mm. One issue that I want to take you guys to before we move on to those ballot initiatives that are uh, on the ballot this year because it's an issue that has come up again recently in California after being fairly dormant for a while, and that's affirmative action. You had an effort, an ultimately failed effort in the last session of the state legislature to get rid of the prohibition on the use of affirmative action in university admissions in California, which is, of course, a legacy of Prop 209 which was passed by the voters 18 years ago, back in 1996. So a fair amount of times passed. What does the modern electorate think about affirmative action in California relative to the electorate of 1996? Uh, well, uh, our poll showed that about 52 percent of respondents uh, are not in favor of this idea and that um, there are uh, segments of the voting population that are uh, in favor of a younger population. Tammy will address that. Um, but it's a hard sell for this governor. Um, California propositions, historically, they start high and they end low. Uh, so if you start a ballot prop that's at about 52 percent uh, negative, uh, you're really in an uphill climb. Uh, I imagine they backed off it this year because they realized the public is just not ready for this. It's going to take a slow walk up to it. And again, it's why this is just a bit of a frustrating race for, for people like me who watch it and others who, who care a lot about state politics because these are the sorts of issues the governor should be getting into now rather other than at some point in presumably a second term. I, I will also add on top of that uh, what Bill is saying. You know, the new uh, California Senate uh, President Pro Tem, uh, Kevin DeLeon, has made uh, it very public that he plans to push ahead with a renewed effort on this issue uh, in the next uh, – in the coming ses- uh, general session of the, of the legislature. So, you know, the Jerry Brown's going to have to deal with it again. The Assembly is going to have to deal with it again. And if uh, the Democrats lose their supermajorities in either or both chambers, 
uh, it should set up an interesting um, uh, policy battle amongst uh, the Democratic caucus itself. Tammy, what about that demographic distinction that Bill referenced on this issue? You're seeing different results in different age ranges? Uh, we are. And so this was a question on which I was glad to have the oversample of, of millennials, of younger voters, so that we could have more confidence in our data on this. And we found that among younger voters, uh, both in the 18 to 34 category and in the 35 to 44-year-old age categories, there was um, much less opposition and much more support for repealing 209 and reinstating affirmative action into California public universities than we see among older voters. So um, take the millennial, excuse me, take the um, the 18 to 34 year olds. So 41 percent were either somewhat or strongly opposed compared to 52 for the full sample, 52 percent, um, and 41 uh, percent were. Um, uh, excuse me, 39 percent um, were in support. And then among the slightly older but still youngish age group, there was only 38 percent in opposition, 41 percent in support. And so um, that change that we've seen coming down the pike for a while now in California politics is really captured in this sentiment about affirmative action. And when you look at the composition of those younger Californians who we were interviewing, you see the the stark differences in the racial composition of those groups. So among 18 to 34-year-olds, 34% are white um, compared to the two older categories. So 44 Five to 64 year old Californians that we interviewed, 61% are white, 65 plus, 76% are white. Um, and then when you make the comparison with the percentage of Hispanics, um, 39% of the millennials who we interviewed were Hispanic compared to only 23% for those 45 to 64 year olds and only 9% for those 65 plus. Now, let's wrap up with a quick tour of some of these ballot issues uh, in this year's election in California. We've got Proposition 1, which would authorize over $7 billion in bonds for the state's water infrastructure. That, of course, is a pretty salient issue given the issues with drought that California is currently dealing with. Uh, Bill, how does that look with the voters? Uh, I would wager it will pass. The governor is pushing it hard and adds uh, there is no concerted effort against it. Uh, so let's assume it gets over the finish line. So then there's Proposition 2. This is an evergreen topic in California politics, the use of a rainy day fund, essentially setting aside money in the state budget, which is fairly volatile, to be used in times of necessity. Um, Carson, how does this – first of all, how does this differ from previous efforts like this? This seems to be something that shows up in some form or another on the ballot fairly often. And how is this playing out with the voters? Definitely, you know the there. There's been a rainy day fund in California. Uh, Schwarzenegger pushed one, um, but it currently has no reserve, um, you know, standing reserve, and it is uh, they've they've suspended um, contributions into it, transfers into it since you know uh, five or six years ago. So you know it's it's an issue that has been um, on the the forefront uh, for some time, given California's volatile budget situation. And what we find is uh, 47% um, are saying that they're uh, voting in favor of uh, Proposition Proposition 2. This seems a little bit low given you know, the conventional wisdom that you want ballot propositions above 50% going into Election Day. However, I, I personally think that it might have something more to do with the fact that the, the, the drought is 
pushing the Proposition 1, the water bond, into a little bit more of an urgency situation right. where the, uh, the so-called – the supposedly balanced budget has made the budget volatility a little bit less of an issue for voters um, given their, you know, their tendency to have a little bit of shorter um, memory spans. But you know, I think with Jerry Brown going to be pushing ahead, his entire campaign, as Bill mentioned, is going to be uh, pushing Propositions 1 and 2. You know, he has 23 to $27 million in his war chest. Um, and in the next few days, all we're going to be hearing is about uh, pushing Prop 1 and 2 in front of the voters. So, yeah, he, he's done a very clever job of bundling the two together. The message is, you know, you know we need to you know, prepare ourselves for, for dry spells. We need to prepare ourselves for economic recessions. Uh, but also uh, Prop 2 has a little sweetener in it, which money supposedly will go to paying down the debt. And you always look for these in ballot initiatives. There's usually one little extra sweetener to try to push people over the top. For example, Proposition 46, the medical malpractice uh, cap increase. Uh, there's a little sweetener which requires doctors to be drug tested. Uh, I'm not sure what it has to do with medical malpractice per se uh, in California. I know doctors who think this is a terrible idea, uh, but it sounds good to voters. And so you see sweeteners, these ballot props to, to just do, the, do that. And I'll note, even though they're, it's not above the 50% level yet, the against uh, percentage in the, our, our, our October poll is only at 19%. So there's it's not as if there's a lot of opposition toward uh, Proposition 2. Actually, you know, there's more people unsure uh, of their position than against it right now. So that leaves a lot of opportunity for a uh, well-funded campaign, which we will see in the next few days. Sure, sure, a lot of opportunity. Um, of course, 47% is not where the governor would like to be at this point, given what we have come to expect with ballot props, and that is that those individuals who go into the election unsure are much more likely to cast their ballot no, so in favor of the status quo, let's just not change anything, than, than to vote yes. Um, and the way that we structured our um, survey design, we really tried to pull the best quality data from respondents who were paying attention to the election, planned to show up, and had begun to form opinions about this. So the fact that the governor still has this favored ballot proposition south of a bare majority means that he is going to have to do a lot of work in the next week. Since Bill mentioned it a moment ago, let's turn to Prop 46. This is a, this is a tort issue and at present, California, California caps the pain and suffering damages in medical negligence lawsuits at $250,000. This would move it to $1.1 million, and it also allows you to adjust it for inflation in the future. Uh, what are the poll numbers showing us on this measure? Uh, we, showed a, we showed a split electorate on this one, 34 for and 37 against. And um, I think if you look at the uh, uh, statewide polls elsewhere, it shows voters are kind of even are on the fence on this one. Uh, Prop 46 and Prop 45 have been the two most heavily advertised uh, initiatives. You just, it's very hard to uh, escape your television every night without getting bombarded by those two props. And and if you would, would you explain for our audience who, if they're not familiar, what Proposition Forty Five is? Also, healthcare related. Uh, Proposition Forty Five is also healthcare related. What it does is it takes management of Obamacare and uh, puts it under the umbrage of the state insurance commissioner. And so, thus, you have a question of should the state insurance commissioner being do do this or not? And the idea is, well, yes, the state insurance commissioner technically oversees insurance, so this makes sense. But then the pushback would be, well, the state insurance commissioner is also a politically elected person who is partisan. Uh, if you're a Democrat and you have a Democratic insurance commissioner, you may be happy. But what if a Republican conservative insurance commissioner comes in? who may disagree with this. So keep the political office out of it and don't pass it. That's the, that's the fight on it. 
Final question, and I'll ask each of you to take this in turn, and, and Carson, I'll start with you. To the extent that we can tell, um, you look at these poll results, you look at the recent history of California, say over the past decade or so, what can we – uh, what can we tease out about the trajectory that California is on? What can we expect going forward? What are the trend lines that you're seeing and what do you anticipate in maybe the next decade or half decade of California politics? Definitely. And I think Bill will probably get to some of this as well. But there's this notion of a you know a growing permanent democratic uh, electoral majority in California and definitely at the federal level you're seeing that. Uh, however, if you look at these economic confidence issues – um, where uh, Californians kind of see the state going, you see a lot of um, uncertainty and skepticism uh, about you know the economic prospects of California and kind of the the long term trajectory of the state, and so that bears the question whether a party like the Democratic Party that holds for all intents purposes a one party rule in Sacramento whether they can kind of hold on to that um, for a long period of time or whether there can be a, a significant opposition kind of rising up from the ashes, if you were, if you will, um, that could kind of challenge the, the current electoral status quo. You know, it, it's possible we could, we could see some of the some of it forming at the legislative level, possibly, uh, you know, one or two statewide candidates that might make a, a good run at it on the Republican side. But it's definitely a something to look into, and it might be something where even you just see um, internal struggles within the Democratic caucus uh, starting to kind of battle for supremacy because of this one-party rule. Tammy, how about you? I, I think that the self-identified partisanship among our younger voters is something that presents both a challenge and an opportunity for both parties in California right now. If you look at self-identified Democrats among our 18 to 34-year-olds, it's 42%. But that is actually right in line with all the other age groups. It's not as if those millennials are overwhelmingly self-identified Democrats who are just going to keep the one-party rule train going in California. Um, and independents are also in line with the other age categories. It's among those who identify as Republicans that you see that real drop-off. So among our 18 to 34-year-olds, we only have 11% identifying as Republicans, um, and that is uh, 17% less than among 45 to 64-year-olds. So clearly that is a, a current problem for the Republican Party in California. But when you then look at the number of young Californians who haven't picked a party at all, not even independent status. They say they're not sure. It's 15% in our survey compared to 7%, 2% to those other age categories. So it's really those not sure millennials who are up for grabs right now. And the question is whether it's the Republicans or the Democrats that are going to be able to actually grab that party identification, that sense that I am a Democrat or I am a Republican, or whether they're going to have these um, young Californians become independents and then fight for them in every election cycle. And I think th that's the real, um, you know, unanswered question that we have right now about how these young people are going to mature politically. And Bill, I'll give you the final word. What are you anticipating for the political future of California? 
Well, it's interesting. The rest of the country is fixated on 2014 and the Senate elections and 2016 and the presidential election. But California would be focused on 2018 uh, when we have an open governor's race, uh, presumably with Governor Brown stepping down and Dianne Feinstein also presumably leaving office. She'll be 85 years old. Uh, So if you're the Republicans, you are building up to 2018 in those races. If you're the Democrats in the meantime, uh, Carson was absolutely right. It's a question of how do you handle these riches? How do you handle power? Uh, We mentioned S. CA5, the uh, Proposition 209 fight that may be coming. Democrats are chomping at the bit to go after Proposition 13. There's a question about extending Proposition 30, that tax increase, and a whole lot of other social issues that the legislature is chomping at the bit, but Governor Brown has stayed away from because he likes to famously paddle left, paddle right. So in the next four years, let's see if the Republicans can rebuild beginning off of this election, but let's also see how the Democrats maintain themselves in Sacramento. If Governor Brown keeps them on sort of a level course or if in his final term he is more willing to go into social experimentation. All right. Our guests have been Carson Bruno, Tammy Frisbee, and Bill Whalen, all research fellows right here at the Hoover Institution. Guys, thank you very much for being with us. Thanks a lot, Troy. Thank you. Thank you. For the Hoover Institution, I'm Troy Senek. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been a production of the Hoover Institution. For more information about our work, please visit hoover.org.